0: You are listening to audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church on the corner of Ebenezer Baptist and Pleasant Green Road. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go to ebcconnect.org. Now, here's our pastor with this week's sermon. Us and, um, Mostly in us to mature us. Um, when we were down at the the beach last week and we, we missed y'all, but we enjoyed our time away and uh, we were gone for a few days and um, got down there and Becca went with us on the trip, on the, early on the trip. Stephen and, and Rachel came down and met us down there on Friday night and stayed for a couple of days and we were sitting around the table. Now that's not an unusual thing, but as we were sitting there, we were talking about what we were going to eat and we started, do you want this, do you want some of this? And, and it got to, to the point where there was a little bit of a discussion about what our kids eat. You see, when Becca was really small, the only thing she would eat was sweet potatoes. I mean, like nothing else. She turned orange um, for a season. And um, so that was where she was. Stephen was one of those kids that, you know, we started him out, and he started out nine and a half pounds. And so, you know, like within weeks, we were feeding him hamburgers and steak and stuff. Um, But he he just kind of went to that. And we were talking about different diets and and realized that over the course of time, Stephen has tried more things now than he ever would before. Like it, he was open to eating cheese for the for the first time, like right around the time he got married. He wouldn't he wouldn't eat anything. He would and we were talking about it in relation to a particular hamburger that he would get, and he said, I just gotten used to it. I just ordered it the way it is and it's no big deal anymore. I want to know that we I want you to know we made U-turns. On multiple occasions where we walked came away from a restaurant and it wasn't right and so he learned something new and new is just part of our vocabulary new is what we get um, we kinda get used to things being new we want new um, It's the whole reason the advertisers do what they do is to get you to buy something new that's improved that's better and so if we look at scripture and look at the Gospel of John, just at the very beginning, we understand that John is going to share something that is a little bit different. It's new. And so he gets into this right at the very beginning of the Gospel and starts sharing this. Now, it's a, at this point, it is a um, John the Baptist has been already preaching, and, and the, we're going to get into a little bit of that in this passage. But understand, this whole message that comes from John the Baptist and then from Jesus the Messiah is a new, somewhat perplexing message for a nation that was looking for a military ruler to come onto the scene to rescue them from Rome. And so we get to the very beginning of the book of John, and we're going to read part of this or pieces as we go, but this at the very beginning of the book. Verse 1, chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, that's a bold statement. It's, it's not an overstatement. It's not an overstatement or overstated introduction. It's, they're not really exaggerated credentials. This really is who Jesus is. It's not generic, it's it's just not another guy on the scene, but it is very particular. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It was, this whole idea of what John is going to share is, for the whole book, for the whole record of the gospel, is going to be what encounters are there with Jesus throughout his life. And so last week, as you guys Learned as Pastor Isaiah filled in and, and, and shared. And I'm grateful that he was able to do that. Um, as he shared what the message of Jesus was. To repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Here we have not just the message, but we have this whole idea of Jesus saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is, is, is at hand. And here is how you relate to the kingdom of God. And I'm going to show you. And so we start out this at the very beginning, understanding who Jesus is. This identity that's listed in verse 1 is a very big identity. And it sets the stage for the rest of what John is going to share. Um, when we, I know that all of this stuff with Vacation Bible School has to do with encounter. We're going to encounter things. And so, what does encounter mean? Well, for, for some of us, we may just think of encounter as walking by somebody and, and running across them, but there's a little bit more. It's really kind of something that's unexpected, a little bit surprising. It's um, to come face-to-face with something. And so when we talk about encountering the person of Jesus Christ, we're talking about encountering the God who was the Word, was with God, and was God in the very beginning. You know, if you encounter Jesus, things will change. If Jesus walked in the room, things would change. Our worship would probably change. I mean, I bet you it would be louder. Or, possibly, it would be silent. But it would change because of an encounter with Christ. And any time that we encounter Jesus Christ, something changes in us. And that's the hope of this week as we go through Vacation Bible School is there'll be change that'll come. There'll be change in our hearts and in our minds. We look forward to, to children and even adults coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior for the very first time. Vacation Bible School is uh, the biggest evangelistic push among children that there is and has been in, in history, at least of Southern Baptist, in Southern Baptist life. So we look forward to what God's going to do, but it's not up to us, it's what God does. It's the encounter with Jesus that makes the difference. And so we're going to go through this, this beginning part of the Gospel of John, understanding that what John is going to write throughout the Gospel are snippets that give us a picture of who Jesus is and what his purpose is, and why it is important for just like they interacted with Him, that you and I interact with Him as well. And so in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And so why is that a big deal? It sets sets Him apart from everyone else. He's not like everybody else on the scene. He is different. This Word... As John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jewish folks would understand that the the term Logos was was something that they were very familiar with and would understand how this this worked with regards to creation. And so when we get to verse 2, it says he was in the beginning with God. And then verse 3, all things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. That is, a, that is a huge statement because if you're looking at a person, you would understand as you look at them that they've not always existed. And everybody in here, there was a time where you were born, right? Whether it was at a hospital, or at your house, or, or somewhere, we could probably go back to a record of when you actually were born to, to someone. It would be your mom. But you were born, right? It wasn't, it wasn't something strange but here we have a little bit different record because in this when we talk about jesus they are going to be able to see him and touch him behold him yet we realize that from the very start that he has always existed so there are four things that we encounter with jesus or through jesus the first one in jesus we encounter god's power we encounter God's power. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So what does it mean to be through? Well, there are a lot of things that we take part in, right? But this word means that it actually kind of went through His hands. All of creation was created by Him. And there was nothing that existed that was created apart from Him. He was the channel. He was the source. He was the only source of creation. If I were to take this watch off, and, um, and I don't know who made this, but, but I could look at it and say, you know, somebody put this together. But if I were to smash it, just take a hammer to it, and I'm not going to because I don't have another one, uh, but if I were to smash it, or if I were just to take it apart and lay it here and say, I tell you what, we will gather again as a people when that watch puts itself back together. You would say, you've lost your mind. That watch is never going to put itself back together. Yet, if we look at creation and all of creation around us, we, have to, we understand that it is by divine design that our world exists. It's amazing to me that somebody can actually have the enough faith to believe that all of the world and the universe was put together by accident. Well, that takes greater faith than realizing that there's a divine entity that put it together on purpose. And yet there's a group of folks that would venture down that road. Now, I, I look at it and go, okay, the biblical record is right. But even if, I did, if I, even if I looked at the biblical record and said, I don't even agree with that. I can look around me and see order, not chaos. And so God has created it in order, and the order is to point to himself. Jesus was part of that creative process. He was the the one in charge of the creative process. Verse 3, apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And then the second thing I want us to, to grab is that in Jesus we encounter true light. We encounter true light. It says in verse 4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And then we get down to, to verse 6, and this is a, like a little parenthesis about the forerunner, John the Baptist. It says, There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light or to witness about the light. And so if we look at this, we say, okay, so who is Jesus? Well, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. We're talking about Jesus as the light. So what part does light play in our life? Well, if we turned out all the lights, you'd say it's it's a little bit dark in here. If we covered all the windows and then turned off the lights, you'd say it's real dark in here. And if you've ever cut through a church at night when, the, when all the lights are off, it's kind of a weird place. Um, this building makes noises that you would never expect it to make and that you may not realize during the day when we're sitting in here to worship. But at night, if you come through here, the, the rafters, the, the, the roof makes noise. And it's creepy. I don't know that I've ever been in a church that I've, and, I, and I've been on staff long enough, I've been in every church at night at some point, that I haven't cut through the building and go, there's sounds that I've never heard, and it's weird. And it just kind of, you, you kind of feel it. Well, darkness brings an uncertainty. Light brings a certainty. And so God gives us light in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. If you think about just what light does, it, is, it represents in Scripture holiness and purity. It represents a guide, you know, a light that, that, that we can see by. It exposes. It is the opposite of darkness. It's used to describe the, that which is opposite of what God calls evil. And against him. It is penetrating. It's different. And so when Jesus, as the light of the world, steps onto the stage of of earth as a in flesh, it is different. And this light penetrated the darkness and it did not comprehend it. It didn't grasp it. It didn't understand. I get that. If you introduce something completely new to a situation, it's going to be hard for it to to suck it in or to accept it. It's what you go through if there's an organ transplant in somebody. It's taking something that is outside that person's body and getting it to go inside somebody else's body and get accepted. And there's all kinds of anti-rejection medicine that's taken and a process that's gone through because it, it is something foreign that has been placed inside someone's body. Well, here we have... Jesus, being in the form of flesh, introduced to humanity. It's foreign to darkness. Light is foreign to darkness, and so the darkness does not comprehend it, doesn't understand it. And although John John the Baptist, he proclaimed it, it still wasn't an understood thing. You and I have been in situations where we've been somewhere and and run across folks with... uh, Speak a foreign language. Um, that was one of the interesting things about living in central Florida is we got to go to Disney or Universal or one of those kind of places on a fairly regular basis. And walking into to those amusement parks or theme parks, you just sat there and you listened and you realized that you were not, you were not um, in a comfort zone sometimes. Everybody around you was speaking something different. And so if you visit a foreign country, you kind of expect that. But it's that, it's that whole introduction of something new and unfamiliar. And there was a language that was coming across through Jesus and, and John the Baptist that was different, and it was weird. It was hard for them to grasp. And it says, there came a man from God whose name was John, and he came to witness or testify. And this word that we talked about, witness or testify, it's it's the same word used in the Greek, same root word. And it really, it's just a legal term that means that in a court of law, this would stand up as a witness. It was a judicial term. And so we see John being an authentic witness or a valuable witness to what Jesus is and who he is. Exposure to light helps us to see the difference between God's character and our own. And that was the message of John the Baptist. That's the message of Jesus as the light as he's introduced into a world of darkness. Is that we would be exposed to where we fall short of God's glory. How many of you have been told that you should feel good about yourselves? You've been told that? Is that a valid statement to make? It makes you, makes you question it, doesn't it? You should feel good about yourself. You should feel good about where, you are, where you're at. And, you know, as much as I, I sort of like the statement, I also realize that when I'm held up to the standard of God, that I fall desperately short. And I'm always going to fall short. In and of myself, and so when I when I look at this and and think about the light shines in the darkness, the darkness did not comprehend it, and John came to testify about the light. This whole idea of Jesus entering the scene, and and people not getting it, his own didn't get it. Would I have gotten it? So I have to ask that question because um, see, apart from God. I'm in desperate need of a Savior. I'm in desperate need because of sin. Because sin separates man from God. And so, if I look at myself and say, okay, apart from Christ, I live in darkness and I'm separated from God. I have a great need. I can't be good about myself. I can't feel really good about that when I'm laid against the standard of God's perfectness, His purity, His holiness. However, there is a way that if we find our identity in Christ because of giving our life to him and God securing us through the person of Jesus Christ, if our identity is wrapped up in Christ, we can proclaim that we are chosen, that we are forgiven, and that we are made right with God. And so it doesn't have to remain in that I'm living in darkness and I don't understand it and I'm not going to be right with God. We can have a place where we are right with the Father. And it comes through Jesus. It says, He was not the light but came to testify about the light. Then in verse 9, There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. This this idea of enlightening is, is something... and enlightening every man, is this whole idea of of a comprehension. That at some point, we understand who Jesus is and what he's about. Um, Think about the different things that Jesus is when we talk about light and what he brings to the table as the Savior, as the creator of the world. See, we live in a pluralistic society. We live in a society that says there are multiple ways to get to God. And when we look at Scripture, we understand that Scripture is, the is, I wouldn't say the opposite, but Scripture does not declare that. Scripture says there's one way. It's not multiple ways. And so you can look for multiple ways, but there's really just one. And it's through Jesus Christ. When I, when I looked at, at different ideas about light and understand what light brings to the table through Christ, and one of the things was just this idea that through Christ we have protection and guidance. We look back at Exodus chapter 10. There was a, a time in, in the wilderness where, and, and that whole idea of Moses leading the people out of Egypt, there was a time where they had to hold on to who, who God was. He was their protection and their guide. It says Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. If that happened here, we'd we'd be freaked out. Just come completely dark. And look what it says. It says, They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. So it was dark enough that you didn't even go around. You didn't move because you couldn't see. You couldn't see others. You couldn't see anything. It says, But all the sons of Israel had light in their dwellings. And then we realize that that God led that people out. And it was a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. He led the nation away from Egypt. He was protection and guidance. In Exodus 27, God gives them, the nation, a picture within the temple of light. Says the lampstand of the temple in Exodus 27 20. It was to be full of clear oil from beaten olives to light the lamp continually. It was always to be there. It was a reminder that God was always there. And so light is used throughout Scripture to remind us of not just his protection, but his continual presence. Job prayed for it in Job twenty nine. When his lamp shone over my head, and by his light I walked through darkness. Job understood that he needed the light. He needed the presence of God. Job said in, in chapter 33, we read, says, He has redeemed my soul from going to the pit, and my life shall see the light. Behold, God does all these oftentimes with men, to bring back his soul from the pit, that he may be enlightened with the light of life. So Job had this great need for salvation to come from God and understood that God was his light. He was his salvation and his joy. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 27, 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is, my def- is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? So God, in his light, enables not just not just protection and guidance or continual presence salvation and joy but enables boldness and faith and so if we trust christ it means that a whole new world is opened up for us on how we should live our life encountering jesus opens up a way that requires faith and surrender requires faith and surrender i told you we went down to the beach had some discussions and And we had discussion among our family, but I had the privilege of being called over to a neighbor's house. And um, I shared this with someone earlier this morning, and he said, come over, have a seat. And so I sat out there for an hour. Now, it was was a little bit of an awkward start because we had just come back from the beach. I was not dressed for a conversation. Um, I was dressed for the beach, and that's all we're going to say. But it's really hard to be serious, you know. So we're, we had this conversation, and in, as part of this conversation, it, we started talking about what it means to follow Christ and what it means to have a relationship with Christ. And was able just to, to walk through that and say, you know, I grew up Catholic. I understand what it, what it means to go to church all the time, but I, I now understand what it means to have a relationship that is different than religion. And so it could kind of walk through that with this person. It's the idea of bringing light into darkness, uh, of showing that trusting Christ brings all those different things, the protection, the joy, the salvation, all those different things that that Moses understood, that the nation understood coming out of Egypt, that Job understood, that the psalmist understands, and that Paul and Peter and the rest of the apostles proclaimed. It's what we can understand when we trust Christ. Jesus provides a way of life that's available for everybody in this room. And that's really the message of encountering Jesus through Vacation Bible School. Is that everyone has has available to them life through the light of the world. The third thing, in Jesus we encounter eternal adoption. Look at verse 10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and those who were His own did not receive Him. And then verse 12, and this is, this is a great verse, verse 12, it says, But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. When I look at that, um, I have some questions. Uh, the first immediate question when I look at that or who were his own that didn't recognize him or receive him? And we, looking back at that, we understand that that, that phrase, um, his own, were really the Jewish nation. As Jesus steps onto the stage, he was rejected by his own nation. And, and it became an issue. It became an issue because even the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the leaders, the religious leaders, pushed him out and wanted him gone. So he was not received well by his own nation. It's, it's the idea of your own people. Have you ever used the phrase, my people? This is where my people are from. You could take that, you could slant that any way you want to, but when Jesus steps onto the scene, because God had a chosen people. He walks into and says, hey, these are my people. And they reject him. They just push him off. To whom is Jesus connected? All, ultimately, Jesus re- is rejected by the very people chosen by God to be witness of God to the world. And so in this passage, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. That word received is a, is a primary verb that means to, to take hold of, literally means to get hold of. And so when we receive Christ, we get hold of something, and the, but the reality is that God gets hold of us. And he holds on to us tight. He doesn't let us go. And so when we receive, but as many as received him or took him in, there were some things that happened. He gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. There there are two things that take place in that. The first one is movement. There's a movement that takes place when we receive Christ as Savior. It's from alienation to adoption. From being put out of the family to being accepted into the family. From rejection to reconciliation. That's the message of Christ. When you, are received, when you receive Christ as Savior, you are accepted into His family, adopted into the family of God. Belonging to the family of God means that there is connection with God. And as John will point out later on, it requires a rebirth to be born again. The second thing is not just a movement, but an entitlement. Now, we don't necessarily like that word. Um, that's a word that kind of kind of grates on us when we think about different things. What are you entitled to? And If we put it in our cultural, the cultural aspect right now, we'd say that we're not entitled to a lot, but we seem to want to be entitled to a lot. But, but here, when we talk about entitlement, it's the idea of being restored to Christ. But as many as received Him, then He gave the right to become children of God. It's an entitlement that comes with receiving Christ as Savior. He gives us the privilege, and that word right actually means to have authority, that we are accepted in, into His family. It's an eternal adoption that comes through belief and trust. Uh, You remember the story out of Luke 15 of the prodigal son who received his inheritance and took off for a far country and went and spent it all on stupid stuff, right? And then he realizes that that's not the place he needs to be, so he comes back. He devises a story that he's going to come back and he's going to He's going to fall down at his father's feet, and he's going to request forgiveness and all those kind of things. And the father runs out to him and hugs him and kisses him and throws a party on his return. He restored him. And it came with all the privileges of being called a son. When we are adopted into the family of God, we have all the privileges of being an heir of Christ one who belongs to the family. And so as much as we may stray away, we are eternally adopted into the family and accepted through Him. The fourth thing, in Jesus we encounter His glory. Look at verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh. So Jesus, this light, becomes flesh. And dwelt among us and we saw His glory glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is, this is the passage where we talk about incarnation, that, that God becoming flesh, God among us, Emmanuel. It's an incredible move of God. You think if, if God were to choose a way to reach mankind, would it? or should it have been through sending His Son to leave glory to come to this earth to live here. We see the beauty around us, but but this is nothing compared to heaven. This is nothing compared to the glory of God. Yet God left that, Jesus left that to live among us in our space. And so it's as if, God, when we're not expecting it, puts a move on here. He's like a a really good wide receiver or that basketball player that makes one juke one direction and breaks the ankle of the guy who's trying to guard him. You've seen those videos. It's, It's that kind of thing. It's an unexpected encounter with Jesus, and yet it's a visible depiction of God's glory. This is bigger than we can imagine. So, what are the characteristics of the glory that Jesus portrays? It says that his glory dwelt. He dwelt among us. We saw his glory, glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth, grace and truth. So, if we look to Jesus, how do we see God's glory? We see it in the grace and truth portrayed in Jesus Christ and His character. So what is grace? How do we see that grace is seeing? Through the action to the need. And that, you say, whoa, wait a minute, I don't, I don't necessarily understand that. I want you to think about the people that Jesus encountered that you know of. Think about blind Bartimaeus. Or think about, the, think about the woman at the well. What did Jesus see when he saw the woman at the well? He understood where she was in relation to God and where she was in relation to those around her, but she came there. And Jesus saw through that to her need. Think about the woman caught in adultery who was brought in as a test for Jesus. We were, um, we were at the, when we were down at the beach last week, we went to a church and the, the guy who spoke talked about that particular passage. He said it's, it's an incredible picture of grace displayed there, Jesus knowing everything about her and knowing everything about those that were ready to stone her, saw something different. He saw the true need. And grace sees the need. But but it's not just grace. Look at only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, truth is, is a little bit iffy right now, is it? Or isn't it? Do we have different versions of truth? Depends who you ask, right? We we live in a culture that essentially says there are multiple truths out there. In fact, Tommy's truth is different from my truth. If if we go by the world standard, it's different from Isaiah's truth. It may be different from somebody else's truth in here. But the, the reality of Scripture is, and with regards to God, is there is but one truth. There is but one standard. And so as much as I may say, hey, this is true for me, and what is true for you is true for you, that's not reality when we measure it up against God's standard of what truth is. God's standard is the one that counts. It's the the one that is portrayed in Christ. And so when we look at Jesus being full of grace and truth, this is how we see the glory of God. We see this, I see the need and I see the truth, and I'm here to bridge the gap between your need because of the truth and the grace of God offered through Christ. That is where Jesus stands in proclaiming His glory among the people that He was around. What Moses saw as a fleeting moment in Exodus 33, the glory of God passing by, we get to behold in front of us in the person of Jesus Christ. What incredible newness. What a crazy encounter. See, the world seems to have sprinted away from the person of God, His nature, and His character. And the best place we could go is to God. Is sprint toward the light. See, grace requires, as it did for Jesus, to see with compassion. Truth requires the standard of Scripture, not the truth of an individual. These go hand in hand. When we claim the name of Christ, our lives reflect that. And so, if we're going to encounter Christ, if we're going to realize that, that God is eternally powerful, that in Him is true light, that He adopts us in, and we have the ability to become part of His family, and then realize that, that we can witness His glory, then, then why not step into the newness of what John is proclaiming here in the beginning of his gospel? Why not step into life That comes through Jesus Christ instead of trying to do it on our own why not live in that so I want to ask a couple of questions as we wrap up the first one have you encountered Jesus have you encountered Jesus it's a pretty simple question and it's really the question of the week for VBS have you encountered Jesus And what I mean by that is have you come face to face with him and today you get to respond to the grace and truth of God. The truth is that we are all sinners in need of a Savior and that we can't save ourselves. The the scripture says Paul wrote that, that the wages of sin is death and we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we have to admit that. And then what do we do with that once we admit that we're a sinner and we are separated from God? Is that we believe that God, Jesus, is the only one, the only person through whom we can come to the Father. And so we admit, but we also believe. We we trust that, that Romans 6.23 is correct. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God through Jesus is eternal life. And so we trust that. And then we confess. We agree with God. That we can't save ourselves and we confess that we need Christ and we confess him as Lord and Savior for us and we receive what God offers as a gift If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead then we'll be saved so have you encountered Jesus is there someone in here says I've never begun a life in Christ I've never received Jesus as my Savior. Today could be the day that you do that. And I would encourage you to do that. The second question this morning, as we look at who the person of Jesus is and what life is like in Christ, have you forgotten whose you are? Sometimes we come to church on Sunday and we go, you know, I'm all about God and I I want God in my life. I want Him to be number one in my life. And when we walk out of church on Sunday and enter our job situation or some other situation on Monday, God seems to take second, third, and fourth priority in our life. And we don't live like we belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We don't live like we're part of that family. We live like we're part of another family. And we need to be reminded of whose we are. That we've been chosen by God. And that we live in the person of Christ. And so maybe you need the reminder. And today you can come to the altar and just thank God for being God. So maybe it's a reminder of whose you are that needs to take hold of in your life. You've accepted Christ but you need to start living it out. Third question. Do you have a need to connect with other believers that desire to reach a community in the world for Christ? Say, I I don't know. Maybe you're in here and you've you've not become part of this church family, but you've been coming here for a while and I want to encourage you to join, officially join and become part of the church family so that that the, the church and and us as a body understand that we are committed to one another and that we are committed to reach the world for christ from this corner and so i want to encourage you that if you have not done that that you would that you would come and join us officially as part of the fellowship here at ebenezer so let's let's pray and as we've as we've begun this journey through the gospel of john and through this whole idea of who Jesus is and encountering Jesus, let's be open to responding the way God calls us to respond. Thank you for listening to this audio from Ebenezer Baptist Church. We welcome you to join us next Sunday at 1030 a.m. for our weekly worship service.